Brookside. So great to see everyone today. Great to worship Jesus together as a church. My name is Tim, one of the pastors here. Welcome to everyone at Millard and at Elkhorn. Welcome to everyone at Mod 7. Guys, thanks so much for joining us. And then welcome to everyone watching online. It was fun for me to hear that, uh, that Gracious, many of you know Gracious, he was an intern here from Zambia. He was watching via Facebook first hour, so shout out to everyone in Lusaka, Zambia. Well, I still remember Carrie's and my first date, which is good probably that I still remember that. Uh, we, we met at college, and we started dating our freshman year, but we didn't start dating actually until the end of our freshman year. So for the first few months, we just started out as really good friends, doing things in groups of people, and getting to know each other that way. And then finally, by the end of, of our freshman year, I got up the courage to ask Carrie out on an official date. But so since we'd known each other for a while, I already knew a lot of things about Carrie that helped me plan that first date. So, so I knew that she liked nice, but not too nice, nothing super fancy. Guys, 20 years later, I still don't fully understand what all that means, but it at least gave me a lane to run in. And then that she liked Italian food and apple pie. I knew that she enjoyed going out and doing thing in, things in groups, but really she's energized by doing things with just a few people or when she's by herself. And so, so I put all of this together and planned out this, this first official date uh, on the budget of a college freshman who was trying to impress a girl. And so we went out to Olive Garden, because who can argue with all-you-can-eat breadsticks when you're 18 years old? We went to a play at the Orpheum in downtown Omaha, and then we went back to my parents' house. I, I'd coordinated a few things with them beforehand, and they had a small table set up in their basement with, with a candle or two and some apple pie. And so that way we could finish dessert before heading back to our dorm rooms and, and the evening was done. Now, now here's why that evening that turned it from, from one date into two dates into multiple dates, how that turned now into 20 plus years of marriage. Because Carrie, on the top five or six things that were, are true of Tim, she wouldn't say romantic as one of those, right? But, but here's how that turned into 20 plus years of marriage. It's because when I was planning that first date, I factored in who Carrie actually is. I wasn't just guessing at what she would like. I wasn't working off of who I wanted Carrie to be or who I thought she should be. I planned that first date based on who she actually is so I could relate to her the way she is. Again, not just my idea of her. And of course, this just makes sense. This is common sense that we all get. That The more you know the person that you're interacting with, the, the truer and the deeper that relationship can be. Well, today we're focusing on Exodus chapter 3, just the first 15 verses of that chapter. And here, God makes himself known to us in a very big way. He shows us very clearly who he is, what he's like. And so the question that, that we're going to ask as we get into Exodus chapter 3 is, is who is God? Now, don't let the, 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 the basicness of that question deceive you, because there is no more important question that you can ask than that one. Who is God? Because only when we truly know who God is, what he's like, only then can we relate to him the right way. It was just like that story between Carrie and I, right? The, the more you know a person, the, the truer, the, the deeper, the, the more real that relationship can be. This is just as true with God. The, the more you know who God is, not who you want God to be, not who you think God should be, but the more you know who God is as he's revealed himself to us, the truer that relationship can be. Even if you're searching 
right? Still wondering, okay, who exactly is God? I would want to take you to Exodus 3, so that way as you wonder, as you search, you're dealing with the God who is, the God who reveals himself to us. So Exodus 3 is the first place in this book where, where God steps in very directly. He's, he's not been absent in the first two chapters of Exodus, but he has been working much more in behind-the-scenes sorts of ways. But now Exodus 3, it spotlights God. This passage is pivotal in the book of Exodus because it gives us fundamentally important truths about who God is. A guy by the name of A.W. Tozer wrote in the 20th century, he said, what comes into your minds, into our minds, when we think about God, that's the most important thing about us. Now, what if we take that statement and turn it into a question for, for us? What comes into our minds? What comes into your mind when you think about God? Would you just be left to, to guesswork? If, if I asked you to rattle off five, six, eight truths about who God is, would you have anything to say that's more than guesswork? Or would you have truth to say because of who God has revealed himself to us to be? The reason I love, love, love that we're getting into Exodus today is because we see that we are not left to guesswork about who God is and what he's like. God very clearly comes to Moses and he says, here's who I am. And this is such good news. We can know who God is with confidence because he's revealed himself to us in the Bible. And so as we walk through Exodus 3, you'll leave here with, with six key truths about who God is. And these, these aren't just ideas we're looking at. These key truths, they, sh they should invite us into a deeper, truer relationship with God. Because when we talk about knowing God at Brookside, we're not just talking about knowing God as an idea. We're not talking about holding God at arm's length and knowing him that way. We're talking about knowing a person, capital P person, who is in the room with us as we speak. We're talking about a God that we encounter a relationship that we experience, and a mission that we're invited to. This is the God that Moses meets in Exodus 3, and this is the God that we still meet today. All right, so let's start walking our way through Exodus chapter 3. We'll, we'll just go section by section and see what truths about God just rise up out of God's word. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And so, so here's a little bit of backstory how we get to this point in Exodus 3. Moses, he's, he's ethnically Hebrew, and he is born at a time when the Israelites, the Hebrews, are ruthlessly enslaved by the Pharaoh of Egypt where they're living. And not just enslaved, Pharaoh is so threatened but by the growing number of Israelites that he actually plays out this plan of genocide, right? Where he says, hey, if you find uh, any Hebrew male baby, kill him. Throw him into the Nile. And so that's the situation that Moses is born into. But, but then in this series of miraculous events, Moses is spared from that fate when he's born. And essentially, he's raised by by Pharaoh's daughter as one of her adopted sons for the first 40 years of his life in the Egyptian royal courts with all the benefits that go along with that. But then in the second half of chapter 2, Moses' life takes a hard turn from the luxury of Egypt. 
Moses makes this brash decision. He ends up killing a man, and then he flees Egypt out of fear for his life, and he ends up in the wilderness of Midian. And that's where we find him in Exodus chapter 3. When we, when we read Exodus chapter 3, Moses has now been in Midian for 40 years. So he's 80 years old when we read this. He's just wandering about the wilderness, right? Just like any other day. But this day is going to be a little bit different, as we'll quickly see. So he's wandering about the wilderness. He's in this, he's in this area of Mount Horeb. Uh, later on in Exodus, this will be called Mount Sinai, just so you're clued into that. But, but here, this day starts out just like any other day for Moses, until something very out of the ordinary happens. Verse 2, so there, while Moses is wandering about in this wilderness of Midian, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in, the flame, in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. And so, so we don't know quite how long Moses was watching this bush, but he was watching it long enough to see not just that the bush was on fire, but that it was on fire and wasn't consumed by the fire. And so Moses thinks, I'll go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. And so Moses walks over. Again, it's a little bit out of his path. He walks over to check this out. The angel of the Lord that appears to Moses here is actually God himself. So, so before Moses even knows, we know as the reader of Exodus that something big is going on. And then there's this question I just couldn't get away from as I was thinking about this passage this week. I wonder if we would even notice the kind of invitation by which God comes to Moses, if we would notice that ourselves still today. Because this is, this is kind of a subtle invitation. Remember, Moses had to go over to see this burning bush. It was a little bit out of his path that he was walking on. The scholars acknowledge this, this probably, this maybe, wasn't the first burning bush even that Moses had seen in, in a wilderness that's dry and hot over the course of four decades, it's at least conceivable that Moses would have seen other burning bushes. But instead, God works through this burning bush. He starts to get Moses' attention. God could have been more direct than he is. He, he could have sent down a lightning bolt right in Moses' path, like the step that he's going to take and, and approach Moses' That way, God could have hit Moses over the head with a two-by-four. But, but instead, this is, this is just a little bit more like a, psst, are you paying attention sort of invitation. If Moses hadn't been alert, he could have walked right by this. If Moses had been scrolling through Facebook, if he'd been updating his Instagram page, if he had his AirPods in, listening out to whatever music you rock out to on your AirPods, if he'd been catching up on his latest podcast, Moses could have missed this. If he'd been in a hurry and said, I don't have two extra minutes to spare to walk over and check that out, Moses could have missed this. M Moses could have missed an encounter with God because of distraction and hurry. Now, there are times in Scripture when God gets our attention with a two-by-four. Read enough of the Bible, and you'll see plenty of those sorts of examples. But, but at least here in Exodus 3, we see that that's not always the case. That there are times when we are in, invited to encounter God more with a, psst, over here, than we are with an air horn. And so the question for us is, 
Are, are you paying attention to the ways God is trying to get your attention? I'm glad Moses is paying attention. He does notice this, this bush is not just on fire. It's on fire and it doesn't burn up. And so Moses goes over to this strange site. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that Moses had gone over to look. So, so again, it's not until Moses reacts to this strange sight that God speaks to him. When the Lord saw that he'd gone over, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. All right, so remember the question we're asking today is, is who is God? What do we learn about God from this passage in Exodus 3. Here's where we can really start building a list. We see, first of all, that God takes the initiative in coming to us. At this point in the story, Moses, he's just living out his days. He spent 40 years in Egypt. Now he's been in the wilderness of Midian for 40 years. This dude is 80 years old here. If you'd asked Moses, I would guess he would have said his life had peaked decades ago back in Egypt. I mean, it's not even like Moses is doing anything super spiritual, inviting God's activity in a special way. He's, he's a shepherd. He's an 80-year-old man with skeletons in his past doing a menial job. And it's precisely here. Not when Moses is at his peak, but it's more like when Moses is in his valley that God decides to approach, take the initiative to come to Moses and call him into special relationship with himself. This is true about how God goes after Moses, and this is true about how God goes after us. God doesn't wait until we've got ourselves all cleaned up before he calls us. God doesn't wait till we've come 60% of the way, 70% of the way, 80% of the way before he comes any direction towards us. God takes the first step, and God comes all the way to us. So first we see that God takes the initiative. We also see God's holiness on full display in this passage. You see, the, the ground that Moses is standing on is not holy because of the place where Moses is, because of a latitude and a longitude. It's, it's holy because of the one in whose presence Moses is standing. As we think about our view of God, we, we have to remember that God is, is as holy as we read about here. Now, it's, it's true and it's good and it's mind-blowing that God is our friend as well, that we're in relationship with him. But, but if the pendulum swings over here too far to God as our BFF, we are, we are likely to forget that, yes, we can live in friendship, in relationship with God, but this is not a relationship. This is not a friendship between peers. God is holy He's other. He's transcendent. In just a second, we'll see Moses hides his face when he realizes who it is that he's dealing with. That's why Moses takes off his shoes as this display of reverence and worship. God takes the initiative. God is holy. Let's keep reading in verse 6. And then God said, I'm the God of your father the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out 
because of their slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Just think how attractive that would have been to Moses, who had been shepherding in a wilderness area for decades. A land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me. And I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. So, so let's just keep adding to this list of things we see are true about God from this passage. What we see next, God's compassion. Don't miss the way God shows Moses how he's aware of the Israelites' suffering. God sees their misery. God hears their cries. God is concerned about them. God comes down to rescue them. That's language straight from Exodus 3. God is rolling up his sleeves and entering the story of his people. For some of you listening right now, this is the truth about God that you need to hear. You're listening at home, online, because you're homebound. Are you listening from a hospital room online because, because you're either very ill or someone close to you is sick. Maybe you're listening from a cell in Mod 7 and, and you wonder if God can still see you and hear you where you're at. Or you're sitting at Elkhorn or at Millard and your life has been turned upside down and inside out this week. Well, whatever the specifics of your situation, hear the truth of Exodus 3, of, of God's compassion our compassionate God, he, he sees you even when you feel invisible to everyone else. Our compassionate God hears you even when you feel like you are misunderstood by everyone else. Our, our compassionate God is concerned about you even when you feel like you are isolated from everyone else. God takes the initiative. God is holy God is compassionate. We also learn that God keeps his promises. It's clear in Exodus 3 here, as he talks to Moses, that God's plan is to deliver his people from their slavery into a really great situation. The, the, the thing that maybe you don't know, though, is that all of this stuff that God tells to Moses is actually the, the same stuff that he told Moses' ancestor, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, when God speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. What God is doing is he's saying, Moses, I'm fulfilling now the promises that I made to your ancestor so long ago. God's good plans for the future are the fulfillment of his good promises that he's already given to us. Brookside, in a world where things are changing as rapidly as they're changing, and in a world where our headlines cause anxiety, let's make sure that the loudest voices in our heads are, are the voices of God's promises and God's truth. Let's make sure that the, that the anchor we grab onto in choppy waters is the anchor, not of our changing situation, that, that is so fragile and frail, but let's hold on to the anchor of God's word. Someone's going to come up to me and say, Tim, I don't know where to start with trusting and holding on to God's promises. But the first place I would, I would point anyone is John 16, 
where Jesus says, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. I love that Jesus gets the reality of a broken and sinful world. You will have trouble. But then here's the promise. But he says, but take heart. Jesus says, I have overcome the world. That's the promise that we grab onto in a world that is so characterized by the choppy waters that we live in. Next truth about God is we see that God uses us. I, 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 would, I would guess that Moses is cheering on through everything God says that he's about to do in Exodus 3, that the God has seen, that God has heard, that he's coming down to rescue. That Moses is cheering right up until verse 10. When God says, okay, Moses, here's what this means for you. Here's what verse 10 says. It says, so now go, Moses. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. This is where it gets real for Moses. You see, God is planning something great and good and big. And God's plan has Moses as an integral part of it. As we keep reading through Exodus, we'll see a whole lot more about what God is planning, how that plays out, how Moses even responds to that. But the thing that you want to take away from this right now is that God's plan, his promises, they don't mean we sit back and go passive. God's plan and his promises, they give every one of us purpose. God uses us, Brookside, to advance his plans, what he's doing in and for the world. All right, Exodus chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. And Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they asked me, What is his name? What, what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation. All right, there, there's one more truth about God that we want to see from this passage, and it's big because every other truth about God that we've seen so far has been, has been pieced together from, from what God says and how he's acting. As true as it is, it's more pieced together from those sorts of insights, but, but not this one. This truth about God is where he tells Moses very clearly, here's how I want you to introduce me. This is the name God would put on a name tag at, at, at a party, Right? And here's the, here's the name. God says, I am who I am. Or just as easily a, a translation of the Hebrew, I will be who I will be. Now, if you were hoping for something concrete and straightforward and like that, that thing that would break the code of what God's name means, you're not going to get it from this passage. One guy that wrote a commentary on Exodus, he says this. His name is Tim Chester. He says, this, this name of God, this statement is deliberately designed to burst our, defini our definitions. Because we normally say, I am something. I'm a father, I'm a teacher, I'm lonely. But this statement, it circles back on itself. God is not defined by anything outside of himself. 
And so scholars, they, they've been disagreeing about nuances of this title of God for thousands of years. That's what scholars like to do. But, 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 there's, but there's things they all stack hands on and say, okay, whatever else that name means, here's some biggies that we don't want to miss about what I am points us towards. So, so this title, this name of God, it points us to God's self-existence. God is not dependent on anyone or anything else for his being. That's huge. It highlights that God is mysterious. So, so God will always act in a way that is consistent with his character and his promises. But, but with, even within that framework, there are always ways that God acts, that, will, that, that God will act, that still blow our categories and make our ears smoke. That's okay, because he's God. He should blow our categories a little bit, shouldn't he? It highlights that God is unchanging in his character. He's eternal in his existence. All of these things point us again and again to the, to the bigness, to the greatness of God. That God blows our categories because he's big and he, he should blow our categories. In the 1950s, a guy by the name of J.B. Phillips, he wrote a, a small book, you can still find it today, just called Your God is Too Small. And, and the title of the book it tells us exactly why Phillips is writing. You see, he, he's worried that too many people believe in a too small God. At Brookside, Exodus 3 reminds us that God is not too small. God is big, he's good. He's great. And then this greatness of God should lead us to, to worship and obedience and trust and wonder. It is such good news that God has made himself known. We're not left to guesswork. He's made himself, to, he's made himself known to Moses in the burning bush. And he makes himself known to us in the person of Jesus Christ. John chapter 1, verse 18 says that no one has ever seen God, but, but the one and only Son that's talking about Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship to the Father, he's made him known. A little bit later on in John's gospel, Jesus is pressed about his own identity. Look what he says to the religious leaders who are trying to test him. He says, he says very truly I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was born, I am. This statement has sent the religious leaders into a frenzy because, because they knew what it pointed to. So they picked up these rocks to stone Jesus for blasphemy. And, and now we know why. Because Jesus, when he called himself the I Am, he was identifying himself with the same God who appeared to Moses in the burning bush. Jesus is I Am. And then as we think through the life of Jesus, his, his ministry, his death, we see all of these truths that we've already discovered about God in Exodus 3. These same truths, we see them just as truly in Jesus. I mean, talk about initiative. Jesus leaves everything that he had in heaven to come after us. Even while we were enemies of God because of our sin. Jesus is holy he is perfectly righteous and set apart. He's compassionate. He, he sees our need and enters in to our suffering. Jesus fulfills God's promises. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Listen to this. It says that every promise of God is yes in Christ Jesus. 
Jesus works through others and he invites us into mission. We, we saw that in Jesus' own earthly ministry as he worked through his disciples. But, but still today, Jesus is building his church through people like us, Brookside. And then as we've seen from John 8, Jesus is the I am. He's greater and bigger than anything we could ever imagine. And he's worthy of our worship and our trust and our obedience. So now what does all this mean for you? So what? Here's what. The, the, the same God that Moses encountered in the burning bush, the, the same God that shows himself in Jesus Christ. This is the same God that we still encounter today, Brookside. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about us. Now all of us have six key truths about God that should come to mind as we think about God, but not just come to mind. These should fill our minds and these should form our lives. And so let's review what we've covered today, right? Because we've covered a lot of ground. Let's review what we've covered. And my encouragement to you would be that you say, okay, okay, which one of those truths about who God is, right? This is who God has revealed himself to be. Which one of those truths about who God is is the one that grabs me right now, right? Which is the one that I, that, that I need to make sure is, is shaping how I view God. Which one of these truths about God do I need to make sure is shaping how I act under and for God. Which one of these stands out to you in a big way? So, so I'll fly through these quickly. God takes the initiative. He's holy. He's compassionate. He's faithful to his promises. God uses us. And then God is the great I am, bigger and better than we can ever imagine. All right, so, so that's the flyby. That's the fast forward version. Now let's go through those one more time a little bit more slowly. Now that you've identified that one that jumps out at you, let me just walk through each, asking a few questions about each one, and then I would, I would want you to, to sit in each of these, but then really focus on that one you identified a minute ago about, about that one truth about who God is that you just need to keep in mind this week. And so, so here's where I, I would encourage you, we're going to spend a few minutes on this, I would encourage you to, to say, okay, what can I best do right now to get into a spot where I'm reflecting on God, right? Maybe that's you closing your eyes. Maybe that's you holding your hands out. But as I read through each of these, our posture here is, okay, God, Moses encountered you in the burning bush. We've seen who you are in Jesus Christ. Hey, how can we encounter you today? Because, because we don't want to just leave here knowing more about how other people knew God. We don't want to just leave here knowing about how other people encountered God. We want to leave here hey, having our own experience, true experience with a, with a God who is because of how he's revealed himself. So let me just start walking through these. So, so Brookside, God takes the initiative. In what ways is God trying to get your attention? Just, just reflect on your life over the last week, 10 days, two weeks. Are there ways that God has been trying to get your attention. Hey, how can you cultivate an alertness to God's activity? What, what distractions do you need to drop to, to make sure that, that, that if God showed up, that, that if God was, was saying, Psst, 
Are you paying attention? That if God did that, you would notice it. And then how are you already responding to the ultimate way God has shown initiative for all of us, the sending and the sacrifice of his son, Jesus? We also saw that God is holy. What can you do this week to build a healthy reverence into your approach to God? Maybe that means you pray on your knees. Maybe that means you lift your hands while you worship. But, but God is holy. Let's not forget that. How can you build reverence into how you approach God? And then what, what sin does God's holiness throw light on in your life? What sin do you need to confess and turn from? God is compassionate. God sees you. God hears you. God is concerned about you. For, for you, if this is the truth about God that you just needed to grab hold of today, there's no questions for you to ask. What I would tell you is just, just rest in the truth that God cares for you way more than you know. Rest in the truth that God is near. God keeps his promises. What are you filling your mind with? We all know that there are a million inputs coming at us every day. In the midst of all of this, what's the loudest voice in your head right now? What are you filling your mind with? And how can you fill your mind with God's promises, with his truth? And then as we think about God keeping his promises, in what ways has God already proven faithful to you? Maybe just this last week, maybe in ways longer ago than that, but, but what do you need to thank God for? For how he is a promise-keeping God. God uses you. How is God calling you to serve in a way that maybe is a little bit uncomfortable, maybe pushes you out of your comfort zone, but, but how, how is he inviting you into what he is already doing? What gifts and passions has he given you? What, what, what fears do you need to overcome to step into God's mission? God is the great I am. He's, he's category-blowing, big and good. Has your view of God grown small? Is your worship half-hearted? This is super simple, but sometimes it's valuable to say, we need to remind ourselves sometimes that, that God is God and we're not. Is there ways you're tr are, are there ways you're trying to act as God in and over your own life? What big truths about God do you need to believe in and act accordingly with in a fresh way? And now, Father, we, we, we pray that prayer of thanks that you show us who you are that you reveal yourself to us, that, that we're not left to guesswork, Father, but how to relate with you truly and deeply. And so, so, Father, thank you for being that sort of God who shows himself to us. And, Father, on, on behalf of our church, I would just ask that we would honor you in all the ways you've shown yourself to be. You're a God who who takes initiative. You're a God who's holy. You're a God who's compassionate. 
You're a promise-keeping God. You're a God who uses us. And you're the great I am. We honor you, Father. We thank you for who you are. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.